Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A professor of mine claims that the Gospel of John moves like a pendulum. On one end of the pendulum, the opening line in the Gospel serves as a high point with its proclamation about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then the story unfolds, and the Word becomes flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The first disciples follow Jesus willingly and recognize him as the Messiah, the Lord. But as the ministry of Jesus continues, the pendulum swings downward as the crowds become confused, skeptical, and hostile to Jesus' claims. The people accuse him of blasphemy and plot his execution. The lowest point comes in the middle of the gospel when Jesus' public ministry ends, and it becomes clear that though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. The story of Jesus' passion actually begins the upward movement of the pendulum. Although the story is dark and heartbreaking, the story of the passion powerfully reveals God at work through Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on the cross to bear the sins of the world, and just a few days later, the pendulum swings to an even higher point with the miraculous event of the resurrection. Now you'd think with the resurrection that the pendulum would be at its highest mark on the other end. But according to Craig Kester, my professor, the pendulum does not reach its pinnacle until after the resurrection when the disciple Thomas makes his confession of faith. That is the Gospel of John, again at its highest point, when Jesus overcomes Thomas's unbelief. So that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. According to the author of John's Gospel, that's the mission statement. That's the purpose. That's what the story of Jesus' life death, and resurrection is all about. The resurrection of Jesus isn't a performance or a cool trick. For God, a resurrection isn't truly spectacular until people are brought to faith in the Son of God who is resurrected. And so when Thomas, this heartbroken, once disbelieving disciple is finally brought to faith by risen Christ, that's the high point in John's gospel. Poor Thomas gets a bad reputation among the disciples. We never remember him as his recorded nickname, the twin. We remember him as the more popular moniker, Doubting Thomas. But if we were to place ourselves in Thomas's shoes for even a moment, we'd recognize this nickname is unfair and insufficient. Just a few days earlier, 
Thomas had witnessed, at least partially, the torture and execution of his teacher, his master, his friend, the one he gave everything up for. Thomas was missing from the group of disciples when they gathered together days later in a locked room, trembling with fear that they would be next. Why was Thomas missing from the group? We can only speculate. Maybe it was just dumb luck, like he just missed Jesus by a few moments. But perhaps it was something like this. Thomas separated himself from the others in his time of post-trauma, anguish, and grief. We know that this sense of isolation still happens in our communities of faith today. People can become isolated from others when they are experiencing deep pain and suffering. This weekend, as I mentioned, we are lifting up our church's partnership with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. What we're trying to do in this partnership with these stickers and with this walk that, that Sandy Holloman is leading the charge on, what we're trying to do with these events is break the silence surrounding mental illness so that people affected by it don't have to feel so alone or ashamed. Well, going back to Thomas, we just know that Thomas wasn't there when the disciples met together in that locked room. And boy, did he miss out. The risen Christ appeared among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus showed them his hands and his side, and after this, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus breathed on them and gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, which would empower them to continue his ministry of forgiveness of sins in God's name. The disciples, minus Thomas, had an amazing personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. So when Thomas met up with the disciples again, they were giddy with excitement and told him, we have seen the Lord. But their testimony, their word, it just wasn't enough to break through Thomas's isolation and grief. In order to have the joy of belief as they did, Thomas needed a personal encounter with Jesus himself and Tomley and, and Thomas <laughs> bravely expressed that need to his friends. Unless I see him, touch him, and feel him for myself, I will not believe, he said. Thomas simply could not believe unless the good Lord himself stepped in to intervene, which the good Lord did. Jesus did not forget about Thomas. Jesus showed up when Thomas needed him most, which apparently was a whole week later. You have to wonder what that week was like for Thomas as he remained in community with the other disciples. Thomas couldn't share in their bubbly faith and excitement, but he stuck around anyway. That's some bravery right there. And kudos to that community of early disciples for making sure there was space for someone like Thomas in their midst.
I hope we have a community like that here today. When Jesus appeared to the group a week later, this time with Thomas present, Jesus didn't beat around the bush or play coy. He dealt with Thomas personally and directly. Jesus graciously offered Thomas what he needed in order to believe. He said to him, here I am, Thomas. Go ahead and touch me. Do not doubt anymore, but believe in me. The next line that Jesus spoke, he wasn't only speaking to Thomas, he's also addressing the reader of John's gospel, which includes us. Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This statement isn't a chastisement of Thomas. Jesus is breaking the fourth wall here. He's speaking to those of us who will come to believe, not by sight, but through the faithful witness of the church, and most importantly, through the Holy Spirit who activates the church. Here we are, some 2,000 plus years after Thomas's encounter with Christ, and one week after the celebration of Easter. The lilies are still in bloom, in, bl in bloom from last week's celebration. The music is bright and joyful, and we might still have a chocolate egg or two in the cupboard. So many signs of Easter, so much talk of the resurrection. Is that enough for us to believe? Well, there are some people here today that are dealing with struggles, the magnitude of which we can scarcely imagine. Some of us are hanging on to our faith by a fingernail, and it's a major act of bravery and loyalty to show up when we're in the midst of that kind of struggle. God has raised Jesus from the dead, the church claims, but perhaps that testimony isn't enough for some of us to believe or be at complete peace in our faith. So what does God do with us in such times? Does God shrug God's shoulders and say, well, I already raised Jesus, what else do you want me to do? No. Jesus Christ comes crashing through our locked doors just as he did with those first disciples. Jesus is here today, graciously giving himself to you, as he did to Thomas all those years ago. Christ is present in this community today. He is here as he said he would be to the end of the age. Christ is present in this water of new life, which just came upon Wayland, and now he's sleeping peacefully. Christ is truly present in the bread and the wine which we eat and drink for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ is present in the word preached and proclaimed. Christ is present by his Holy Spirit. He shows up for us today, now, and his presence among us isn't a performance or a cool trick. He is here to deliver us from isolation, despair, and disbelief, and bring us into the joyful security 
of a trusting relationship with him. We do not have a God who idly throws up his hands and gives up on us when we doubt or suffer. We have a God who comes to us again and again and makes us new through his gifts of forgiveness, peace, and presence. We have a God who gives us the community of the church to surround us with support when we fight through struggles, temptations, and trials. We have a God who sends his Holy Spirit to enliven us with faith, to help us in our weakness, and intercede for us. What a wonderful God we have, the God of the resurrection who shows up when we need God most, giving us the faith that brings life from death, joy in sadness, and peace in turmoil. What good news for us today and always. Amen.